Hello, everybody. This is VegCast91. VegCast. I'm Vince, and we have another full menu for you. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, we're back with you, and we will be talking about that traditional full menu holiday, Thanksgiving, as well as some other concerns with the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, Gene Bauer, uh, who wanted to point us to a study uh, showing the effects of uh, media exposure of animal abuse and the effects that that has on meat consumption. We'll be kind of digging into that and trying to see if there are any lessons to be drawn from that. Uh, That's coming up. We also have a new song by a new vegan artist, Joy Valencia. Uh, It's called Don't Wake the Lion. Certainly an interesting uh, piece of music there that uh, you may not have heard elsewhere. We're having it right now coming up on VegCast. And we also have a science fact coming up about how people are going to have to reduce their meat consumption drastically if we are to have any hope of saving the planet from complete destruction. VegCast, as always, is sponsored by LightLife, the makers of Smart Dogs, Smart Ground, and more. Visit them at lightlife.com, veggie goodness for you and the planet. So please sit back and relax, crank up that MP3 player as we deliver to you this 91st. Now, for many of you, hopefully Gene Bauer needs no introduction, but we are going to have him give a little introduction. Farm Sanctuary was uh, at the spearhead of a movement of uh, what's now becoming increasingly common, which is rescuing animals from uh, abusive environments or environments where they're being used and uh, putting them on the sanctuaries where they can live out their lives uh, in relative comfort and freedom. Uh, and Gene and I have been corresponding a little bit over the summer uh, after there was a uh, situation where I felt that he should have been given a chance to uh, kind of air some of his views in the face of some contrary views. So uh, he sent me the study, and I said, well, let's have that on VegCast and talk about that there. And so we're going to get into that now. All right, joining us right now by phone on VegCast, we have Gene Bauer, the president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Gene, welcome to VegCast. Great to be with you, Vance. It's good to have you on here. And, of course, uh, you are one of the legends of animal advocacy. And before we... Uh, talk about uh, what's going on right now in the animal world. Uh, let's just, for anyone who's not familiar with the story of Farm Sanctuary, I believe that it actually uh, it, it started with a, a rescue that you were doing uh, around here, actually, around in Lancaster County. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, in the early days of Farm Sanctuary, we spent a lot of time visiting farms and stockyards and slaughterhouses to document conditions. And behind Lancaster Stockyards in Pennsylvania, there was a dead pile, a pile of dead animals. And we found living animals there from time to time. And the first one was Hilda, a sheep who had been discarded just like garbage, uh, left on the dead pile with carcasses of cows and pigs and other sheep. And as we approached the pile, she lifted her head. So 
Uh, we took her off the dead pile, uh, rescued her, and she lived with us for more than 10 years. So we now operate two sanctuaries, one in Watkinsburg, New York, one in Orland, California, where we care for roughly 1,000 animals at a time. We also adopt these animals out into good homes, and we, add, we raise awareness about what happens to animals on factory farms. We encourage people to recognize that these are living, sentient creatures, and we encourage people to change how they relate to animals uh, you know, as, a, as a society, and that means uh, not eating them. And we also try to pass laws to prevent some of the cruelties. Well, now, uh, let me just ask, um, for a long time, Farm Sanctuary, as befits its name, uh, was just about the only farm sanctuary that I, anyway, had ever heard of. And now uh, there are uh, farm animal sanctuaries all over the place. Was, were, were you basically, you and Lori, originating this concept? Did you hear this somewhere else? Was it part of a, a bunch of people who kind of got this idea? Or did, did everybody say, hey, if, if they can do it, maybe we can do it? You know, I think that others saw what Farm Sanctuary was doing and started their own sanctuaries, and I'm really happy to see that. And, you know, over the years, we've also hosted conferences to teach people about how to start up and run sanctuaries. And many of our interns or people that have come and spent some time at Farm Sanctuary have then gone on to start their own. But, but when we started back in 1986, there, there weren't any other sanctuaries like Farm Sanctuary. And, and the sanctuary actually developed out of our visits to factory farms where we'd find living animals discarded and left for dead. So we couldn't leave them there. And at the time, we were operating out of a little row house in Wilmington, Delaware. And so we rehabilitated the animals and generally tried to place them. But as time went, it was clear that we needed more space. And then we operated out of a donated space in uh, Avondale, Pennsylvania for a year or two, and then finally acquired the Watkins Glen Farm in 1989. And we also got one in California in 1993. Uh, but, you know, Farm Sanctuary was the first, and I'm, I'm very happy with the fact that many other people are, are becoming aware and concerned about farm animals, and there are now probably a couple, three dozen of these sanctuaries around the country. Well, let's, if we can move uh, forward to the present day, so to speak, um, you, you want to talk about this study that uh, is showing that when animal abuse or animal exploitation or, or scenes of animal cruelty are in the media when there's some big news story, it, it causes a uh, it, the demand for animal products, or at least the demand for meat of different kinds of animals, uh, does take a hit. Uh, and I, first of all, what why what was it about this one study that really kind of captured your imagination? Well, I think that this study is is shows that people need to hear about what is happening to animals on farms, need to think about their food choices. And, and when that happens, people start to be a little bit uneasy about the cruelty of, of, of how animals are exploited. And also, I think they're uneasy about the fact that these animals are killed, and, and that's a violent act. And when people think about these, I think most people tend to be humane and would rather not participate in cruelty and violence. And so when you do see images of factory farming in the media, when you hear about what is happening to these animals and start thinking about these issues, um, I think we're seeing a very positive trend towards less meat consumption. And, and this trend, by the way, is going along with the same trend of um, animals being treated in less cruel ways. They're, they're still being treated badly on farms that market their products as cage-free or free-range or whatnot. But um, I think that the movement towards uh, you know, that some farms are treating animals less badly is going 
uh, alongside the movement where people are eating fewer animal products and some are going vegetarian and even vegan. Okay, uh, let me just say, as somebody that has watched these, um, you know, I, I work in the media and so I see things uh, kind of coming down the pike and I have been in, in this kind of Charlie Brown in the football position of, of seeing something and saying now, this is, how can somebody see this and not react in, in, in this way that you're, you're talking about and, and saying, you know, they're going to, to be humane and want to act on that. And I do tend to see outrage at the time, but what I've been frustrated by and what this study actually says is that, you know, this, this effect of either depressing demand or, or slowing the growth of demand may last up to six months. But, but people, it's like a, a wound or something that, that closes back up. So what, what do we do about that, you know, for a, a kind of a long-term effect? Well, I think the bottom line is we need to be persistent and continue to raise awareness, continue to get these issues out there so people can think about them. And, you know, I think that we are having some, some success, and not only in terms of animal cruelty, but the many other problems associated with consuming animals. And there's sort of a convergence of issues, a convergence of awareness now. You know, the United Nations is talking about how animal farming is inefficient. And this is something that's pretty obvious, but you, know, you have you know, institutions like the UN talking about it. And um, our health in this country is, is horrendous, and it doesn't have to be that way. And you know, rural communities have been suffering because of industrial animal farming. So there's a convergence of issues now, and I think, you know, in answer to your question, we just need to keep talking about the many problems associated with our current food system, and then we also need to show uh, positive alternatives. And thankfully, we see more farmers' markets now popping up. We see community-supported agriculture programs popping up. Uh, people are even uh, tearing up their own gardens or their own lawns and planting gardens. There's a Food Not Lawns movement underway. So we're, we're in the midst, I think, of a food movement right now, and um, we need to substitute more appropriate food production and consumption with the inefficient, inhumane uh, animal farming system that, that has sort of dominated agriculture in this country for the last couple decades. Mm -hmm. Well, in terms of that food movement, I mean, community-sponsored agriculture or community-supported agriculture is, um, I think, a great uh, model. It's a, it's a great kind of uh, getting to know uh, where your food is coming from and having a direct connection with it. Um, but I, I was a member of the CSA for a couple of years, and uh, I got turned off by the fact once they started uh, pitching meat and having, uh, you know, all of this stuff that, that I had to kind of uh, elect not to receive <laughs> to, to be part of it. Um, and that was the beginning of, of kind of the locavore thing, uh, which uh, focuses on certainly there are benefits, there are social benefits to supporting your local community. But uh, as somebody that uh, kind of traffics in the environmental realm uh, during the day, I, I hear a lot of stuff about, you know, it, what's important is to source your food locally and make sure that it's uh, being raised by somebody who you know, and it's not that important whether you're eating plants or animals. And, and from my perspective, uh, it is that important. Also, from an environmental perspective, it's also uh, much more important, as we know. But I, I kind of sense within this food movement some of the groundwork that it seems like was being done by vegans and vegetarians and raw foodists is now has been kind of uh, appropriated by people who, you know, the whole put chickens in your backyard 
uh, do this as long as they're not in a, a factory farm, everything's fine. And how, how do we get around that? You know, I, I share that concern. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, that the movement is much bigger now than it was. And, you know, it used to be, like you say, more vegans, vegetarians, raw food people. But now it's reaching into wider audiences. And as that happens, I guess the core messages, you know, tend to be somewhat diluted, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I think even though some of these, um, you know, farmers markets are selling meat now, which I don't like, um, people who are buying that meat are probably going to be eating a lot less than if they're going to be buying factory farmed meat. So I think the general trend still is towards less meat consumption. Um, and there are a large number, I think, of meat reducers in the population now. Um, I would love for them to continue reducing meat to then become vegetarians and vegans. But um, you know, it's part of, I think, a, a broadening of the movement, a mainstreaming of the movement, uh, which comes with pluses and minuses. All right. In, in terms of a long-term trend, though, of people eating less meat, do, do we have any data that says even just, I mean, obviously worldwide it, meat consumption is increasing because more uh, people are raising their standard of living and, and moving into a, a class where they expect to have meat where they didn't expect that before. But even within, within you know, American culture where we're talking about these messages coming across, are we seeing any actual hard data that says people are eating less meat or simply that maybe the the increase is not happening as fast as it would otherwise? What, what kind of numbers do we actually have there? We actually have numbers from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that indicate in the last couple of years the amount of the number of animals slaughtered in the U.S. has started to decline. And, and that is significant because for decades the number of animals slaughtered uh, rose. It started as in 1986, when Farm Sanctuary started, the number was about 6 billion farm animals raised and slaughtered every year in the U.S. Uh, about uh, around 2008, when I think it peaked, the number of animals raised and slaughtered in the U.S. was about 10 billion. Uh, we now see the, the numbers starting to slow, to, to drop, in fact. Um, and I think the last numbers I saw were just over 9 billion. So we're actually seeing a, a real shift uh, in terms of the number of animals killed in this country. And, and another thing is that in the U.S., animal agriculture is depending more and more on export markets. So that, I think, bodes well also for the growing consumer awareness in the U.S. And, and with that, I think, you know, we are seeing uh, a lowering demand of meat consumption. Well, when you say it depends on more on export markets, you mean that they're slaughtering animals and exporting them out, or that the consumption of animals here is depending on because, I mean, my, my first reaction to fewer animals being slaughtered in the U.S. is, well, there's fewer of many things being done in the U.S. because, you know, these mega corporations are just uh, shipping operations here and there wherever they can get a good tax break. So is there, do we have something that correlates that maybe with actual consumption or, or what's the, you know, what's the hard data there? No, that's, that's a good question. In terms of consumption, I don't think, you know, there's the export markets that the U.S., uh, agribusiness is increasingly depending on. You know, they're exporting more dairy products and more cheese, for example, and, and more meat and, and chickens. Um, now, in terms of imports, I don't think that those are have increased as much as the exports. So I think we have a net sort of export as opposed to import of animal foods, which um, leads 
towards the, you know, I, you know, I have to look more at the, the consumer data, and I don't think that really exists all that, all that clearly. But, but if you look at, you know, market trends, and you see um, grocery stores that have more and more vegan products available, you know, silk soy milk, for example, is widely available. Um, and I think that's a, a pretty clear indicator that these products are becoming more popular. And each time somebody is buying a carton of soy milk and using that on their cereal, that's a carton of cow's milk that they're not buying. So, I mean, I think if you look at the market, um, that, that also you know, tells a similar story to what the USDA numbers tell us, which is that the number of animals being killed in the U.S. is, is uh, lessening right now. Okay. Well, let me just ask, if, if the numbers are, it, it sounds like there is some lessening or softening or slowing going on, and that's, that's great. And we certainly uh, know that there are more products. We, we're seeing more uh, availability of vegetarian and vegan products uh, in your traditional grocery stores and everything. Uh, so that's great. But is that, I mean, some would, would argue this whole... It, this whole dilution that's that's occurring with with the mainstreaming of the movement is, uh, you know, it's going to be a bad thing because people now don't have a clear message that they need to take an ethical stance. It's just you know, you if you buy something that says cage free or that says free range or that says happy and humane and whatever, then you're okay. You don't have to think any further than that. Is there is there any danger that that's you know that's actually going to be a factor? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, the danger is that people don't think. And, you know, when people are buying products that say cage-free, there's a small level of thinking. And I guess the question is, does the thinking end there or do they continue thinking? And I think part of our role is, is going to be to encourage people to continue thinking. And, you know, we try to expose these labels for, for what they are, and they tend to sound a lot better than they are. And we also want people to recognize that they can, in fact, live and be healthy without eating animal products. So, um, but you know, I think if somebody becomes aware to the extent that they don't want to support battery cage egg production or some other factory farming technique, I mean, that is, I think, a positive step. Uh, but it's, in my view, only a step, and I believe that it leads to other steps. You know, there are some people in the animal movement that think that they take that step and they stop there. Uh, but I disagree. I think that each time a step is taken, uh, the chance of another step being taken is increased. And, and even, if, even if they don't take the next step anytime real soon, they've at least done something to reduce some of the suffering. Um, and the idea that doing that uh, makes the killing of animals more legitimate is something that I disagree with. I think that once there's a recognition that animals have feelings and deserve to be treated with respect, that is a, a, a mindset that ultimately leads down the path to people not eating animals. And um, so each step uh, towards giving animals more respect and recognizing that they have feelings and should not be mistreated and should not be made to suffer needlessly uh, is a step, I think, towards a plant-based lifestyle. Okay, well, we're, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to be sure that uh, we mentioned you have, we have Thanksgiving coming up and you have a specific campaign, an Adopt-a-Turkey project with uh, Ellen DeGeneres as the uh, main spokesperson for that. Can you just fill us in on that very briefly? Yeah, absolutely. Every year around Thanksgiving, we have an Adopt-a-Turkey program, and people can go to the website, which is adoptaturkey.org, and we encourage people to save a turkey instead of killing one for Thanksgiving. It's a new tradition, and we encourage everybody to participate. 
And when you say, I mean, they're not actually bringing a turkey into their home. They're they're just paying for like an extra month's rent, or what? What are they actually doing to save a turkey per se? Well, well, people can sponsor turkey that lives at farm sanctuary, or in some cases, people who have space and an appropriate facility can actually adopt a turkey into their home. So, uh, there. So oh, you do have actual people. I mean, there are turkeys there at farm sanctuary that may be going to live with other people uh, in the in the course of this campaign. That is correct. Yes. Okay. And also what we do at Farm Sanctuary on the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we have a celebration for the turkeys where we feed the turkeys and uh, celebrate with them. And it's a very fun, joyous occasion. And, and that's the Saturday before Thanksgiving, both in Watkins Glen, New York, and in Orland, California. And people can find out more on our website, which is, you know, farmsanctuary.org or adoptaturkey.org. Okay, great. We'll have both of those links in our show notes. And uh, Gene Bauer, uh, I want to thank you for everything that uh, you've been doing uh, so far to help animals, and I want to thank you for joining us on VegCast. Absolutely, Ben. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. There's a lion in my bed. He's a light sleeper, don't you know? Don't you know? If I want to keep my head, I better keep it on the low. Now he'll be on the attack And I can't have that Oh, better watch out Gotta be careful now Don't make a sound Don't make a sound Oh, he's a doozy Oh, he'll be moaning No, don't wake him up Don't wake him up Don't make a lion 
That is Joy Valencia with Don't Wake the Lion. Joy is a Chicago-born, Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter and producer, completing her first album. She is a vegan artist who is co-producing her music with her vegan husband. You can check her out at facebook.com slash joyvalenciamusic and get a free song at www.joyvalenciamusic.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Vegan Music, which is how she came to VegCast's attention. But now VegCast's attention must be turned to the science Our science fact for VegCast 91, meat diets pose environmental danger. Report. This is from Reuters. People will have to cut meat from their diets if the world is to stay within safer limits of planet-warming greenhouse gases, nitrate pollution, and habitat destruction, according to a report published Monday in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Experts agree that eating plant products can be better for the environment because eating meat involves consuming animals, which are themselves raised on plants, a less efficient process. Uh, The article goes on that on current trends, livestock farming on its own, disregarding all other human activity, would push the world near danger levels for climate change and habitat destruction by mid-century. We suggest that reigning in growth of this sector should be prioritized, said the authors from Canada's Dalhousie University in their article titled Forecasting Potential Global Environmental Costs of Livestock Production, 2000 to 2050. The paper described, quote, a profound disconnect between the anticipated scale of potential environmental impacts associated with projected livestock production levels and even the most optimistic mitigation strategies. Uh, The article mentions some uh, mitigation strategies and continues that efficiency gains would not be enough. Per capita meat consumption would have to be cut. Across-the-board reductions in per capita consumption of livestock production should be a policy priority, it said. The paper calculated required cuts in globally averaged per capita meat consumption of 19 to 42 percent by 2050, given expected increases in population and income, just to stand still regarding environmental damage. And of course, that's a global average. Uh, And of course, we know that here in America and in the West, uh, we're eating a lot more meat than a lot of people elsewhere in the world. So those of us who are here and are still consuming uh, the products of livestock and uh, raising animals on all of these plants are probably going to need to make deeper cuts. And the point, again, to this uh, is this study actually puts into words something that I've been saying, that the whole eco-movement that's looking for mitigation strategies to try to stop or slow global warming uh, does not seem to be connected with reality sometimes in terms of the scale of things they're talking about, like changing your light bulbs over to CFLs or even to LEDs. Uh, or taking a little shorter showers or not leaving the water running when you're brushing your teeth. Uh, And this other problem that is so monumental uh, because it is such an inefficient process to take plant protein and filter it 
through animals that have to eat it uh, for a long period of time and then be slaughtered. So we're hoping that maybe this time, maybe with the release of this study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, uh, there will be a certain amount of waking up and saying, gosh, yes, you know, we should make this a policy priority. It would be great if the makers of our policy, in fact, were driven not so much by their own dietary preferences, but rather by the science as our regular listeners know, VegCast originates in Philadelphia. We sometimes get out to other cities and check out uh, vegetarian and vegan offerings there. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to note yesterday, uh, as of the time that I'm recording this yesterday, I was up in Manhattan in Lower East Side and got lunch at Curly's Vegetarian Lunch. Uh, on the recommendation of Quarry Girl, uh, another Twitter personality that uh, if you're there, you should follow. You can also just follow the blog. You don't have to uh, go to Twitter. But uh, she is also uh, a powerhouse of uh, information and recommendations of uh, different uh, vegan places. And uh, it was a good lunch. It was very crowded in the place we had thought we would sit down, but there was enough of a wait for that that we figured we would just get our food and eat in the car. And we had uh, a great lunch on Quarry Girl's recommendation. I got the open-faced turkey sandwich, uh, vegan turkey, of course. And uh, my companions got veggie burgers, which they pronounced uh, to be deliciously garlicky. And I tried that. Uh, that was good. The open-faced turkey sandwich with the cooked greens, very uh, Thanksgiving-like uh, meal, so that was uh, kind of seasonal, considering that's coming up. And if you're up there around the Lower East Side, it's on East 14th Street, you might check out Curly's Vegetarian Lunch. But right now, uh, we're going to have to wrap up VegCast 91 and get the heck out of here. All right, I want to be sure to thank our sponsor, Light Life. Light Life makes eating veggie deliciously easy. Join us, they say, and be pro-veggie. Of course, I also want to thank our featured guest, Gene Bauer, for uh, coming on and talking about his efforts and uh, his ideas. And, of course, I also want to thank Joy Valencia for sending us Don't Wake the Lion to play on VegCast 91. And I want to thank you, the VegCast listener, uh, please be sure to subscribe at iTunes or elsewhere. And until next time, please get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.